That's good news. Let's pray. Father, our desire is to continue to know you more deeply, to love so that we might love you more fully, to be able to grasp what is the height, what is the depth, the breadth of the love of God for us in Christ, which you have prepared for us, which, which no one has seen and no, no one can fathom what it is that you have in store for your children's life. The struggles especially, the hardships especially, would not eclipse and cloud out the eternal joy and glory and goodness that is ours and assured to us in Christ. Not fearing death will come. For at that point, at that moment, we will look upon Jesus Christ and to his arms we will run. And we thank you that we have this sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Lord, I pray tonight that you would continue to draw us near and continue to fill our hearts with the truth of the good news of the gospel in Christ for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. John chapter 7 tonight is where we will be, verses 14 through 24. Um, I titled this message, Your Authority is Your Glory. Your Authority is Your Glory. And I'm, and I'm speaking of it in, you know, in, um, in, the, in, in the ultimate sense you know, of ultimately, as I said earlier, you're in one of two kingdoms, kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness of Satan. You have one of two masters. It's God or it's Satan. And whoever your authority is, that's who you will seek to glorify. So when I say your authority is your glory, what I'm saying is that um, what I mean by your glory, I'm meaning the one that you want to glorify, the one that you want to exalt, the one that you want to make much of. And ultimately, like I said, at the end of the day, there's two options. You have the authority of God, and your desire is to glorify God and to exalt God and make much of Him. Or your authority is Satan, the kingdom of darkness, which usually manifests itself in some form of a person that is your authority that you seek to exalt, that you seek to glorify, that you seek to make much of. And just, um, you know, by way of letting you in on the secret, usually that someone is yourself. So um, your authority is your glory. You want to glorify God, you want to exalt God, you want to make much of Him, or how it works out practically in our lives is you want to glorify yourself, you want to exalt yourself, and you want to be made much of. That's just, that's just normal, fallen, human, condition stuff that we see in the Scriptures. So it makes what Jesus says in here really profound regarding if your will is to do God's will. In other words, if he, if he is your authority, then there means there's something has to have changed in you. For, 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 for you to be hearing these words for anybody, whether it's the, the immediate recipients of what it is that he's saying or it's 
us in reading the text as if he is speaking to us, the, the reality is the same. If you have a desire to glorify him, it's because something happened in your life that changed the direction you were going to self-exaltation and self-glorification to God-exaltation and God-glorification. But it's not as if with the li- in the life of the believer, once I'm in the kingdom of God and I want to glorify him, I'm free all of a sudden from the temptations of, at times I still want to be glorified. I still want to be made much of. And I guarantee the same is true for you. If you're being honest with yourself, we have a desire. We'd like to be um, complimented, We like to be lifted up. We like to be made much of. We like to be glorified. That runs in direct competition with God. And that's not good. And so the life of the believer, in some ways, is just this constant yielding and submitting and learning to grow and fight through the temptation of us wanting to be made much of and God being made much of instead. So um, we understand the idea that um, the person in authority, their, their words have power and meaning. Um, we, we, we get that as parents. We get that. Our, our children should know our words have significance, some power, some meaning to them because we are their authority parental figure in their life. Um, we look at law enforcement. They're the authority in our lives. Their words have weight, meaning, power to them. And especially, that's the way that it is with God. His word, his word has weight and power and meaning to it uh, because he is the ultimate authority over all things. So John chapter 7, join me in reading verses 14 through 24. And I just want to draw our attention to a few things in particular and see how this whole conversation plays out um, as we're continuing to work through this chapter. So John 7, beginning in verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So the issue of Jesus' authority um, is central to this passage. Last week we looked at timing and ended our message last week considering God's timing over all things. And the encouragement is really to rest in and settle in God's timing. 
you're going to really struggle. If you struggle with having God as your authority, you're really going to struggle with resting and waiting upon God's timing in things. You can really only find peace and rest and satisfaction as you wait upon God if you really believe that he is authoritative over all things. And because he is authoritative over all things, that, what does that mean for his time? It's perfect. Everything, because he is authoritative, there's no one greater than him. There's no one, you know, pulling the leverage or twisting his arm to make something happen at a time he doesn't want it to happen. Everything happens exactly when and where and how he wants it to happen. That's the reason the believer can say, I can yield to your timing. It's, it's not my timing. I wish it were, but it's not. But you are an authority, and I'm seeking your glory so I can rest. I can wait in God's timing. Um, it's only the person who could submit to God's authority who will accept his timing in all things, and Jesus exemplified this perfectly. John, I would encourage you, we're not going to review it tonight, but I would encourage you, John chapter 5, beginning in verse 19 through the end of chapter 5, verse 47, is a significant marker in the gospel of John because it is where Jesus begins to take up this topic of authority and his authority and the Father's authority and his divine nature coupled with his human nature and yet him always submitting himself to the Father's will. Jesus exemplified yielding himself to the authority and the timing of the Father perfectly all the time. And, and John chapter 5 really kicks that idea off um, with great clarity, and it continues on through the rest of the book. And, and so it'll play a role as we see in our text tonight. So how I want to look at our text is like this. You see verses 14, 15, and 16. On one hand, you have Jesus' authority. And then verses 19 through 24, on the other hand, you have man's authority, or the, Moses is the example that they're using. And they're trying to pit Moses against Jesus. And Jesus, at the end of it, will have, he's not going to have any part of it. He asks, the, in verse 24, it's essentially like, consider how illogical you guys are being and how wrong you actually are and how you have exalted Moses above God. And obviously that's not appropriate to do. But what we have sandwiched in between, verses 17 and 18, is this idea of the will and who, want, who a person desires to glorify. So it's like on one side, 14, 15, and 16, you have Jesus' authority. 19 through 24, you have man's authority. And sandwiched in between is really this call and this conviction and this challenge. Who is going to be your authority? And it involves what, what you will and who you want to glorify most. So in verses 14 through 16, we see Jesus. He's standing um, with his own authority. He comes back into Jerusalem. So halfway through the feast, the Feast of Booths is a seven-day feast. It's a week-long feast. And he goes up midway. We see that in verse 14. About middle of the feast, Jesus goes up. And where does he go? The text tells us he goes where? Temple. It's significant. He's going to his house. And he's going to teach. This is his house, and he's teaching 
authoritatively, like on his own turf. And his word is going out authoritatively, and it is piercing the heart and challenging the people. Last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, John chapter 5. What did, John, what did Jesus do in John chapter 5? He healed the man at the pool. When did he heal the man on the, at the pool? On the Sabbath. What did, they, what, what did the Jews want to do to him because he healed the man at the, by the pool on the Sabbath? They wanted to kill him. So that's the last time he's been in Jerusalem. When was that? There was actually a feast taking place. That's the reason why he was in Jerusalem. Probably the Feast of Weeks. Because we see earlier in the Gospel of John, I can't remember when, um, he had actually had gone up earlier for the Passover. So probably Passover, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Booths. And so John chapter 5, he's up there. That's the last time he's been in Jerusalem. And it was that miracle. And because of that miracle, they wanted to kill him. And because of that, he didn't go back into Judea because they were seeking to take his life. So Feast of Booths is happening. It's going on. Everyone's in Jerusalem. Big hubbub, big festival. Everything is happening. He goes up midway through, goes straight to the temple, and he begins to teach authoritatively on, on the feast he created to commemorate him, really, and his working as being God. And they're marveling. We see in verse 15, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? He's never, see, the rabbis, they had a school. They, they had a, a plan a, that had to be worked out. Kind of like we have with, you know, you go to school to get a degree. You've got to work the, the path of education. And, and at the end, you get your diploma, boom, and you're, and you're good. They had this, a similar thing. The rabbis would go to school. Their subject was theology, and they're saying, we've never seen this guy in school. We, this guy's never picked up a book. None of us have ever seen him. What's he doing? This, this, this carpenter from Nazareth is standing in the temple. He's speaking, and, and no one can deny he's speaking authoritatively. His words have weight. It is piercing and cutting the heart, and everyone's like, doesn't understand what's going on. And, and, but the, the Jews are like, We've never seen this guy open a book before. He's never studied. Where's this teaching coming from? And they're marveling at him. And Jesus answers their question in verse 16. Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but is him who sent me. We see his divinity in verse 15 as one who speaks authoritatively in the temple, who knows all things. It kind of reminds me of um, John chapter 6, verse 61, but Jesus knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling. He's the all-knowing knower, remember? He doesn't, need to, he doesn't need to open a book. He doesn't need to study anything. He's the all-knowing knower. He knows it all already. So we see his divinity, but then we also see his humanity in verse 16 as he tells them, that my teaching is not mine, but it's his who sent me. And he acknowledges himself as being the sent one, the one sent from the Father. And it's an expression of his humanity, his submission to the divine mission to do what? Save you and save me. He goes in there, he teaches. And he has submitted himself to the Father's will, and his teaching has divine authority as one who has been sent. And I was thinking about this for, for us. You know, Jesus is, sees himself as the sent one who uses the Scripture 
to teach authoritatively? And do we see ourselves the same way as those who are in Christ, sent by him to go out and to share the gospel and the good news because we are under his authority and we use the scriptures, armed with the scriptures to be able to do so? A sign, that a, a sign that someone is truly and really under the lordship of Christ and submitted to him is one that takes seriously the call to be obedient to him and walk in submission to him. Do you see yourself as a sent one? One who is sent? Maybe you're not sent abroad. Maybe you're just sent to your own home. You're sent to be a, a godly example of Christ as a husband, as a wife. You're sent to your workplaces to be salt and light, an example there. Knowing that you're not coming up and making up your own gospel message, but you're representing the one who saved you and you're submitted in a, to his authoritative word. Do you see yourself as one who really takes seriously the word and yields your, themselves and is submitted to it in every single way? I think that's a real good challenge for us to, to think about and to consider. Sandwiched in between verses 14, 15, and 16, in which we'll get to 19 through 24 here in a moment, like I said, are verse 17 and 18. And verse 17 challenges us regarding our will and our authority. Our will and our authority. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will. How does someone's, what is mankind's default will? What, is, what have we learned in Romans 1 and Romans 3? What do we know from Psalm 51? That we're born separated from God, from birth, my mother conceived me in sin, my natural desire and inclination is rebellion, my will is consistent with my fallen nature, right? My nature is what informs my will, what I want, what I desire. So how can he say if anyone's will is to do God's will? Does anybody have a will that's consistent with God's will? How does that happen? How does that come about? Only if one has a divinely altered will. The only way someone has, the only way someone is listening to this at that point in time or today and genuinely says, yes, my will is to do God's will. You think of like Simeon in Luke chapter two, where he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and he sees baby Jesus. And basically he's like, I have seen the Messiah. I'm ready to die. His will was completely oriented towards God and what God had revealed to him. How did, his, how did he have a, we, a, a will pointed that direction, but by the work of God in his life, altering his normally selfish, sinful will. I mean, think about what we've learned already in John chapter 3. No one can, be born, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless they're born again. No, John chapter 4, no one becomes a true worshiper unless they receive the Spirit of God and living waters come and dwell within them. The only reason someone who's listening to this is, yes, genuinely my will is to do God's will is because he has prepared them to hear and receive Jesus' words and he has divinely altered their will to do what he wants. And if that's true, then this is what he says. He will know, the one who has the will that's in line with God's will because God has altered his will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. 
They will know, am I just another guy claiming my own personal fame and authority? Or am I sent? Do you, do you ha- are you able to perceive me with divine spiritual perception because God has altered your will to see me in that way? And when you hear my words, when you hear me speaking, you can receive my words. We'll get into this in John chapter 10 eventually. How is someone able to hear the voice of the shepherd? But because God has divinely altered their will, unplugged their ears so they can hear his voice and respond to him. Your will and your authority are directly tied together. God is your authority because he changes your will to want to have him as your authority, that he is your divine authority because he has altered your will to make it so. And people whom he's done that in their life um, desire, will desire to honor him, to glorify him, to hear his words, and to know that his words are God's words. And he is not speaking on his own, creating his own message. The next thing that we see is in verse 18, your glory and authority. What does he say in verse 18? The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. What you want to glorify, what you want to make much of is directly tied to who you see as being authoritative in your life. And it's either God or most often it's ourselves. People who walk around living life saying things like, Well, I think, dot, 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 therefore I'm going to live according to this. What are they saying? That what I think is authoritative in my life. Therefore, I'm going to live consistent with what I think, and and my own words are authoritative. And because my own words are authoritative, I want to glorify Myself. What Jesus is telling us is that this is just the way that it works. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Specifically referring to himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one that is true. He is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And there's no falsehood in him. If he is your authority, then you're going to be able to hear his voice, receive his words, and be set on a path and a trajectory of wanting to glorify him with your life. You're going to seek the glory of the one who sent him. You're going to seek God's glory. How do you do 1 Corinthians 10.31? How does that really play out in your life? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. The only way that that happens and somebody does that is because they see God as their authority and their desire is to glorify the one that is supremely above them. But if you don't ever see anybody supremely above you, you are the supreme authority, then guess what you're going to do? You're going to live a life where you're seeking your own glory and you seek to be made much of personally. There's this, there's this thing that Scripture shows us that our, our, the authority in our lives is directly tied to who we want to glorify and make, make much of. And the only reason that, the only way that that can change from us to God is by his divine intervention and him altering our wills to make it so. Your, the authority you are under 
will determine whose glory you seek, and it will reveal your true will and nature and whose voice you hear. Your Master. And then on 19-24, through 24, we see on the other hand how they have made much of Moses. And because their real, really their desire is not to glorify God, and they seek to make much of Moses, they end up replacing God with Moses. This is the temptation that every single person is going to face, saved and unsaved. There will always be a temptation to put somebody else above God. And the believer must fight that temptation to place themselves above God or to place anybody else above God. They placed Moses he, he taught, he, he's revealing to them just really how ridiculous their thinking is. He says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? He's like, I, I, I did one work. I broke the Sabbath one time. Last time I was in, here in Jerusalem. And, and what did I do? I made a, a man's whole body well, by the way. Would you stop and consider what you do every single Sabbath? You circumcise little boys every single Sabbath. You're working. I broke the Sabbath one time. You break it every week. And you give yourself a free pass because you're doing the work of Moses. You're, you're in order to obey Moses... You're directly disobeying God. And so he says in verse 24, do not judge by appearances, but with right judgment. Stop and think about how ridiculous you guys are being right now. Stop and think how illogical you are. I mean, their accusation to him, the crowd said, you have a demon. Like your, your wisdom and your words and what you're teaching and your authority, it's demonic. And Jesus is actually like, no, actually, you guys, your thinking, your living, your reasoning, that's what is demonic. He'll go on later in chapter 8 and tell them, your, God is not your father. Your father is Satan. And your will is to do what he desires. You need to open up your eyes and you need to think. And he's just trying to address them with something like real practical and tangible that they can seek. You guys break the Sabbath every single week, but you justify it because you're obeying Moses. I think this is a real, this is, I think this is a real challenge for us. You consider that even for a believer with our new nature, how we're still tempted at times to not place ourselves and live under God's authority. That man will make all kinds of justifications for sinful behavior, which means we are always forced to wrestle with the Lord's position of authority and lordship in our lives. There's all kinds of ways in which 
we will justify sinful behavior. And you'll even use the Bible to do it. Passages of Scripture to do it. Because we struggle to place ourselves under God's authority consistently. And the sinful nature is constantly pushing up against the authority that he has in our lives. And we, and, and we, will, we will justify our own selfish and sinful desires in order to get what we want, which is just a portrayal of bringing ourselves out, of under, out from under God's authority and asserting our own authority, our own desires. We need to be um, like what we've seen in the Gospel of John. Have the heart and the mindset of John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. The believer, in order to continue to keep God remaining as the authoritative, exalted, glorified figure in our lives, he must increase constantly, and we must constantly decrease to be made lower and to be made nothing. Uh, we've seen, actually, we saw earlier in John chapter 5, John, not only this was the, the mind and the, the heart of John the Baptist, it was also that of Moses. He says in verse five, chapter 5, verse 46 and 47, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? Moses would have exalted Christ. He'll go on later in John chapter 8 to talk about how if Abraham saw him, Abraham would exalt Christ. We need to be people that have hearts and minds that are desiring to exalt Christ in every way. Not just setting that as a big picture vision for our lives, but really stopping and considering in very small and practical ways, does, does the authority of God and my desire to much, make much of him and glorify him exist in very specific places and relationships and situations in my life because I am yielded and submitted to him to be, be obedient to him, to glorify him, and to be a blessing to those who are around me. Is he the authority of your life and the one whom you seek to glorify? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time that we, that we have together and for your constant pursuit of us. When we assert ourselves and we're prone to strain and wandering, how you are good and faithful to bring us back. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in our life in salvation, and we thank you for this work in sanctification, and, and we know that you're helping us continuing to yield ourselves and submit ourselves to you. May we accept it and see it as you do it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd stand and we will sing our last song together.